Happy New Year's. Yes, you heard that correctly. We Jews have not one, not two, not three, but four New Years. How did that happen? I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. The first Mishnah of Tractate Rosh Hashanah reads as follows. There are four new years. On the first of Nisan is the new year for kings and for the festivals. On the first of Elul is the new year for animal tithes. On the first of Tishrei is the new year for years for sabbatical and jubilee years, for planting and for tithing vegetables. On the first of Shavat is the new year for the trees in accordance with the statement of Beit Shammai. But Beit Hillel say the new year for trees is on the 15th of Shavat. Okay, that's a bit confusing, I'll admit. In our larger world, we know of only one new year. January 1st. Before COVID, we had lavish parties, though now we still shoot off fireworks and watch the ball drop in Times Square. It's a lot of fun, especially if you get to be in Times Square, the French Quarter in New Orleans, or anywhere else where there's a great street party. But in the Jewish world, the new year means something entirely different. The term Rosh Hashanah, literally head of the year, has a technical meaning. Each of the four new years has a specific purpose. They are not just arbitrary dates that were chosen back in the days of the Roman Empire. I'll save our discussion of Tu B'Shvat, the 15th day of the Hebrew month of Shavat, which falls in the dead of winter, for last. Let's start with the easiest one to define, the first of Tishrei, known by Jews as the Rosh Hashanah. Whenever we hear somebody say the words Rosh Hashanah, immediately we think of the high holy days, which usually fall in September. The first of Tishrei is one of the most solemn days on the Jewish calendar superseded only by the holy day that follows 10 days later, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishrei, is the start of the religious year, when Jews come before God in penitence and prayer. This day begins the process of Teshuvah, repentance, which ends on Yom Kippur. Unlike January 1st, There are no fireworks, no ball drop, no big parties, and the new year does not begin at midnight. It begins at sundown. When the sun sets on the evening of first Tishrei, you will find many, if not most Jews, at the synagogue. The next morning, we gather again to pray, learn from the Torah, and hear the calls of the shofar, the ram's horn. The Mishnah also mentions that Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishrei, is the new year for the sabbatical and jubilee years. 
You may know from your Bible studies that every seven years, the land of Israel lies fallow so that it can regenerate. It's a Sabbath for the land, called in Hebrew, Shemitah. Jews who observe the Shemitah can eat only what grows on its own accord from the land of Israel or from what they purchase from non-Jewish or foreign sources. Jews living in Israel cannot actively farm during the sabbatical year. Also during the sabbatical year, all debts are forgiven and Jewish Avedim, indentured servants, are freed and returned to their families if they choose. After seven sabbatical cycles is the Jubilee, year 50, when the ground lies fallow for an additional year. All debts are released, all indentured servants must return to their families, and the land is redistributed and returned to its original owners. On the first of Tishrei, both the sabbatical and Jubilee years were declared, with their provisions going into effect on Yom Kippur when the shofar sounded at the end of this day. The second new year is the first of Nisan in the spring. For context, the festival of Pesach, Passover, is exactly two weeks later. The first of Nisan is the new year for kings. The new year for kings standardizes the years of a king's rule. If a king came to the throne on the 29th of Adar, right before the turn into Nisan, or was crowned on the 2nd of Nisan, the next 1st of Nisan marks the end of the first year of his reign, whether that's one year or one day. But since we don't have a king today, this new year has fallen into disuse, except as a reminder that we must prepare for Pesach. The first of Elul, exactly one month prior to Rosh Hashanah, is the new year for cattle. This is curious to be sure, since this new year is not widely observed. But in temple days, it was an essential day that standardizes the new year for cattle, sheep, goats, and the like, so that Jews would know which animals could be tithed and sacrificed on the altar. Every newborn cattle turned one year old on the first of Elul, so that we Jews would know which animals were eligible to be sacrificed and tithed that year. If this is confusing, consider horse racing today. Ask yourself this question. How do we know which horses are eligible to run in the Kentucky Derby? The race, as you probably know, is for three-year-old horses. But how do we know which horses are three years old? By convention, all horses have their birthday on January 1st. So a horse born on January 2nd or on December 31st of the same calendar year turns one year old on January 1st of the following year, one year later or one day later. It's the same concept as the first of Nisan or the first of Elul. Now, after the break, we will look at the fourth and final new year, Tu B'Shvat, the 15th day of the month of Shavat, the new year for trees. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome back to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. 
Before we return to our discussion of Tubishvat and the four new years, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Please remember to review and rate this episode on Apple, Spotify, Facebook, or whatever service you are using. Also, please go back and listen to previous episodes if you have not done so already. And if you would like to read my weekly Torah study, please go to Bible Stories They Never Taught You in Religious School, available for free on Substack.com. Now we come to the fourth and final new year, Tu Bishvat, the new year for trees, which occurs on the 15th day of the Hebrew winter month of Shavat. There was a debate in our Mishnah as to whether this festival occurred on the 1st or 15th of the month, but the ruling was that the holiday takes place on the 15th day of Shavat. Unlike the 1st of Elul or the 1st of Nisan, Tu B'Shvat is a widely observed holiday today, but for reasons different than what the rabbis of the Mishnah had given. Like the 1st of Elul, Tu B'Shvat determined the age of maturity for produce. Fruit-bearing trees had to be three years old before their first fruits could be offered in the temple on the festival of Shavuot. Tu B'Shvat was a day that all trees aged one year, just like cattle and kings. With the destruction of the second temple and the end of the sacrificial system, both Tu B'Shvat and the first of Elul fell away. As mentioned earlier, the first of Nisan had been rendered obsolete with the end of the Davidic monarchy. But Tu B'Shvat never quite totally disappeared. It survived for a variety of reasons completely unrelated to bringing the first fruits to the temple. Let's look at just two of them. The first reason concerns the modern state of Israel. In the early days of the modern Zionist movement, the Zionist leadership founded the Jewish National Fund. The purpose of the JNF, as it is abbreviated today, was to purchase land in Palestine for Jewish settlement. Suffice it to say that the Jewish National Fund raised money worldwide so that the Zionist leaders could purchase land held by absentee Ottoman Turkish landlords. Jewish settlers would then claim the land and found agricultural settlements and villages in Palestine. Yes, there were severe ramifications to this policy, which continue until the present day. But this was at its root a real estate transaction, no different than buying and selling a house or farm today. The leaders of the Jewish National Fund created a mechanism for raising money whereby they would leave a small box in every Jewish home from North America to the impoverished villages of Eastern Europe. It is traditional for Jews to drop a few pennies in a tzedakah box, money meant for charity at the start of Shabbat. The JNF seized on this tradition and convinced Jews worldwide to drop coins into their boxes on Shabbat Every so often, these boxes would be collected and replaced, the money going to purchase land in Palestine. After a time, the Jewish National Fund shifted its focus from land purchases to reforestation. It was critical that the settlers plant trees in Palestine for environmental reasons, to protect their farms from water runoff, and for security. Trees, as we know, hold water. 
They work with the land to keep the crops healthy and reduce the need for extensive irrigation and fertilizer. With this in mind, Tubishvat became a new year again. Now, Tubishvat celebrates tree planting in Israel. For the past few decades, the Jewish National Fund started a drive prior to Tubishvat to collect money to plant trees in Israel. In America, at least, this drive takes place in religious schools. For every tree that a student plants, he or she receives a lovely paper certificate stating where that tree was planted. In theory, the kids could later go to Israel, see, and water their tree. The JNF also sponsors tours of Israel so that Jews could see the work done by the fund and plant more trees. This is how Tu B'Shvat, the Jewish Arbor Day, became a Zionist celebration. But there is a second meaning attached to the holiday, environmentalism. When we remember that Tu B'Shvat is centered around trees, it makes sense to raise environmental awareness. And indeed, that is what has happened. Jewish environmental groups have special programs to commemorate the environmental aspects of this day. Many synagogues and Jewish agencies also mark this day by planting trees on their property, both for beautification and for environmental reasons. Finally, there are home-based aspects of this holiday. The most prominent ritual is called the Tu B'Shvat Seder, modeled on the much better known Passover Seder, which we will discuss in a future episode. This ritual meal emphasizes the fruits of the land of Israel and reminds us of the vast wealth of Jewish sources devoted to protecting the environment. It's a light, fun ceremony full of nuts, fruits, and four shades of wine or grape juice that many households and even synagogues celebrate today. In conclusion, what began as a relatively minor holiday and one that was virtually extinguished has reemerged as an important and joyous celebration. Every synagogue celebrates Tu B'Shvat in some form, tree planting, buying trees in Israel, or even holding a Seder. It's a stunning example of how we have reclaimed and rebranded a day that had lost its historical meaning with a modern, relevant message. If we want to celebrate Tu B'Shvat, at minimum, we can plant a tree. I want to thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. Please remember to rate and review this and previous episodes on Apple, Spotify, or other streaming services. You can also like and hear us on Facebook. Next week, we will begin our discussion of the Jewish calendar. We will finally talk about the differences between our common solar calendar and the Jewish lunar solar calendar. It gets confusing, and I promise to skip the math involved. So tune in and prepare to learn why Jewish holidays always begin the night before your wall calendar says they do. Finally, I've begun to publish a weekly Torah study called Bible Stories They Never Taught You in Religious School. It's available for free on www.substack.com. You can also sign up on Substack for the newsletter to appear every Friday in your inbox. Have a wonderful week, and remember, Behold, 
how good and how pleasant it is for us to dwell together. Till we meet again, I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians.